thank you all so much for joining us tonight. I have two, two, two special guests, uh, Tracy Hewlin and Ann Bailey Lipset, two colleagues of mine who were great friends, but also people I've learned from, um, from my former school, Mason Crest Elementary School. We were uh, the DeFore Award, the first DeFore Award recipients, and Ann Bailey and Tracy were instrumental in helping me uh, and helping us um, really realize that dream of having all kids learn at high levels. And so Ann Bailey and Tracy, if you could unmute yourselves and I'll give you a thumbs up. Thank you. So what I'd like for you all to do, anybody who is watching us tonight, please hit that share button. Anybody who is watching, hit that share button because we want to have as many people see us and, and learn about Ann Bailey and Tracy's new book as possible. And so we're here to talk about Ann Bailey and Tracy's book, Building Blocks for Social Emotional Learning, Creating Safe, Secure, and Successful Elementary Schools. Tracy and Ann Bailey, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And before we get into uh, talking about your book tonight, and again, congratulations. I know it's a, a not just a labor of love, but it, it really was a lot of work, a lot of going back and forth. I, I remember and uh, hearing from you all and how much you've you know you know put into the book, and I, I really think it's going to truly be an outstanding book, not just for um, for educators but for parents as well. But before we get into talking about your book, you know, talk to us about your journeys, um, who you are, who's Ann Bailey Lipset, and who is Tracy Hewlin, because I know our our audience wants to to hear from you. Um, but then we'll delve right into your book. So, Ann Bailey, you want to go first? Talk to us about your journey. Why are you here? Sure. Um, Brian, your intro really you know, um, speaks with me because I also had a really hard time learning to read. And I feel like I wasn't a real, and I really wanted to. And it was, um, it was like all I wanted, but it was so hard and it was coming so easily to everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I really think that that's a huge part of why I did become an educator um, and why I ended up in special ed. I started in general education and I realized the more I got into it, the more I wanted to get into well, what happens when kids aren't learning the way it works for everybody else? Like what it's easy for some, not for others. How yeah. can we bridge this gap? Um, and I feel like I've been really lucky on my educational educational career path because I've been able, I was able to start in general education, go to special education inclu inclusion, see what self-contained was like, see what that, I have, I myself have moved around on that least restrictive environment continuum. Sure. Um, and I feel like I've gotten a great perspective of how, where, you know, where kids, what kids experience in all the different levels and where, what teachers experience. Yeah. And Ann Bailey, I just have to kind of, you know, add on to what you just said. And, and Ann Bailey and Tracy are the two modest, most modest people ever. And so they won't toot their horn. So we're going to get them to toot their horn um uh, this evening but you know as, as a you know, colleague at mason crest with ann bailey and and her working with our intellectual disabilities population but she worked with all the staff and, and all the staff work with ann bailey as well i learned so much and i learned that she really was passionate about making sure that we um really held to that that idea of the least restrictive environment no matter who the kid was she wanted to make sure that we had high expectations and our beliefs were that every single kid could, could be successful and so ann bailey you know that's something that rubbed off on me just seeing you work with every single child and making sure that you truly understood 
what they brought to the table and you met them where they were and you made sure that we had those expectations no matter who the child was. And so I think that's what rubbed off on me and what I learned from you. So thank you so, so much. Tracy Hewlin, who are you? <laughs> well, I am a um, mathematics specialist, elementary and middle school, but I also specialize in social emotional learning. And I've had the privilege of co-authoring a book with you, Brian, which has been great, which also includes um, uh, entry-level um, understanding about social emotional learning. And um, we had a journey at two different professional learning um, communities in Virginia. And um, during that time, Ann Bailey and I worked um, at Mason Crest and um, we were on the same uh, multiple grade level teams together. Um, we were also um, on a team that we formed with other um, teachers and staff to really talk about the learning environment and what that should look like um, across the school setting, as well as thinking about how we could start to share some of the tools that would be really useful for some of our students um, and what that would look like in terms of you know, setting up some type of system that we could share across um, different grade levels and classrooms. And so we sort of started on that journey together. And um, I've learned so much from Ann Bailey working with her and um, watching um, her teach and um, interact with other teachers and students. And so this is exciting. We, it, this has definitely been a labor of love and it's been challenging, but we're so proud of it. We're so excited about it. And we cannot wait for this to um, get into the hands of teachers and administrators and school staff, because we really feel as if it has um, the potential to make a really big difference in the lives of not only students, but also the um, adults in the building as well. And, and again, with Tracy, I learned so much as well. Uh, as a math specialist, Tracy you know, and Jen Dinehart taught me so much. I, I would just sit in their team meetings and just soak it up because they were so passionate about helping all teachers become better at their crafts in order to help more kids learn at high levels. And so that passion um, is, is just, it just resonates across you know, everything that you do, Tracy. So thank you so much. So let's jump into the book. This idea of social emotional learning, you know, the last couple of years, we've heard the term SEL, SEL, SEL. And I think in education, sometimes we as educators use these acronyms, PLC, RTI, all the acronyms. And, and sometimes acronyms and terms travel really well, but the underlying meaning of those terms don't travel so well. And so let's make sure, as Becky DeFore used to say, clarity precedes competence. Let's talk about social emotional learning. What is social emotional learning? How do you all define it in your book? Um, we, I feel like we, we got into this, we knew we wanted to write this book and then we're like defining it is very difficult. It is a term people use constantly um, and they just assuming everyone, when you use it, it kind of assumes that, oh, we're all talking about the same thing, but it's a really broad topic that a lot fits under. Um, to give the best um, definition I can, I think is from, we would use from the Collaborative for Academic, Social and Emotional Learning, or um, CASEL, and they're really one of the leaders in the field. And they say, 
They define it as the integral part of education and human development. And they say it's the process that all young people and adults acquire, um, acquire and apply knowledge, skills, and attitudes to develop healthy identities, manage emotions, achieve personal and collective goals, feel and show empathy for others, establish and maintain supportive relationships, and make responsible and caring decisions, which is, I think as a parent, when I think I look at that list, like that's what I want for my child is like to yeah. be a good human being and to be sure. happy. So in a lot of ways, I think social emotional learning is, it's the aspects of ourselves as our person that allow us to connect with individuals, learn, and then apply what we learn and grow. And so, you know, what would that look like? Because I know, you know, we talk about the definition, but when we have to put that into practice, what would that look like in an elementary school setting? Like, you know, when somebody says social emotional learning, what would that like when I am, if I'm a parent or if I'm just an, an educator, a, a new teacher, and I'm like, I'm not sure what that looks like. Am I just teaching SEL skills? Am I pulling kids who are, you know, who have, um, problem behaviors? What does that look like? That's a good question, Brian. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what social emotional learning is. I know years ago, um, and there still are many programs that involve mindset and character, and some define social emotional learning in, in that way. Some um, think primarily about the social emotional instruction versus thinking about the culture and climate and the environments of the school. So it really has many facets. And so we developed a um, pyramid to sort of help schools think about these different features. Um, Pop it up on your screen. Yeah. So um, the, really the foundation is about building a positive culture and healthy climate within the school and also creating safe and effective learning environments. That's the foundation. That's the base. So if you currently are just using skills instruction on social emotional learning and looking at those learning targets that involve social emotional or cognitive executive functioning skills, that's great. But you need to also look at that foundation and about setting up a positive culture, healthy climate and safe and effective learning environments. Um, in addition to that, you then need to think about those um, social emotional skills, right? And we have to think about and know as teachers, what do we want our students to be able to know and to, to do and to be able to apply within their everyday lives? And there are a multitude of um, programs out there and they're research-based and they're good, like we mentioned earlier. Um, but many of them might just be on mindsets or might just be on character and they might just focus on one domain. They might just focus on social skills. And we know that it's important to focus on cognitive, social and emotional skills. So we need to look at those frameworks and decide what does it in, in, entail and what does it not entail? And so what do we need to include? And so if you're missing um, one of those pieces, if you're program only focuses on the learning environment that you need to think and collaborate within your school across your school settings to think about what is our instruction going to look like and also how are we going to um, establish environments not just within classrooms but school-wide the playground the cafeteria think about 
all the different environments that our children move in and out of throughout the day. From the time they leave um, their home, they get on the bus, they go to their classroom, they might go to a music room, to a gym, the cafeteria, the playground, and they're going in and out of a, of a lot of different environments. And do we have common understanding, knowledge, and a common language about what we want those environments to look like and about the language that we're using with our students and about how we're gonna build um, those positive um, and responsive relationships with our students. Um, in addition to, to establishing that foundation and in the instruction, we have to think about how, what are the systems that we're putting in place that we're not only monitoring students um, learning of academic skills, but also those social emotional skills as well. And are we um, putting systems and, and structures in place to monitor the climate of our school and ensuring that we are creating positive as well as collaborative cultures, um, a positive and, and collaborative culture within our school. So, um, and also what, how as a school are we maintaining um, and establishing relationships with our students' families, right? So it's more than just culture, climate, environment, and instruction as well. You know, I, I, I hear what you're saying, Ann Bailey and Tracy, and I, I, I am thinking right now as, as a, you know, a former, you know, principal or, um, and I'm thinking about our, our educators that are, you know, going through a lot now through the pandemic and all the other things. Um, you know, when you start to hear this, one educator may say, you know, how can I do this by myself? And what I heard you say is, you can't do this by yourself if you want to make it school-wide. You have to actually basically use that PLC at work framework, the professional learning communities at work framework, where we're starting by learning together. We're going to build shared knowledge to make sure we have common language, common knowledge and common expectations in order for us to row as one, to speak with one voice. Because if we have different understandings of different parts of this process, then it's gonna be confusing, frustrating, and then people say, it doesn't work. And it's not that it doesn't work, it has to be a collaborative collective endeavor where we're learning together and we're all on the same page. I heard you, the second thing I heard you say is you, you said something about the building blocks. Could you talk a little bit about your building blocks and I'll pop it up on the screen. Um, Sure. And before we dive into that, sure. um, something that you said, Brian, is, you know, it, it is all about the collaboration and historically schools have um, collaborated around the academic instruction yeah. and haven't always had conversations. Of, and they might have had conversations about the culture um, and a, a healthy climate, but maybe not about the learning environments. And I always say, yeah. you know, a, a preschool or kindergarten learning environments can look really different than a fifth grade environment. And so yeah. we're no longer can just focus and have our collaborative conversations around academics. It yeah. needs to be around our learning environments, the culture, climate, as well as the instruction for academics and social emotional learning. And I think the other piece that, um, and you just, it just made me think about you know, what you just said is when we focused on the academics, um, we focused on identifying essential academic standards. And, and now we have to really start to identify essential social emotional um, skills that we're gonna teach throughout the school. So everybody is, we're saying, you know, self-awareness, self-management. 
um, you know, social awareness, these relationship skills, you know, those those pieces, we're going to identify and say, okay, how how can we teach these to every single child to make sure that every single child leaves us with these skills? And it can't be, as as we know with our work at Mason Crest, it can't be top down. It can't just be with one grade level. Um, it, it can't just be with one um, S, SEL team. It has to be school-wide um, teachers, administrators, school staff has to make those collective commitments to maintaining that positive culture, healthy climate, and those safe environments for our students throughout their day and across multiple school settings. Yeah. We think about how confusing it is for a child to be learning these and then, but their bus driver doesn't maintain them or the oh. bus driver does, but you know, the teacher they go to for their reading group doesn't, it has yeah. different expectations and it's sending all kinds of different messages yeah. to the child along with this, the staff of, well, what is expected? Well, again, that, that idea of clarity precedes competence and we have to be on the same page. All right. So talk to me about these, these building blocks, um, because I, I, I love the, the, the way you've laid them out. Um, and I think it makes it very doable, but, um, I want to hear from you all talk, talk to me about, you know, what you were thinking when you create these, uh, these building blocks. Sure. So one of the things that there's, a um, like we, when we went over that massive definition, there's all these different components of what social emotional learning is. They're all, we can isolate them into these little pieces. Yeah. But when we really look at those, those are developmental skills that come over time. They're not something that every kindergartner walks into the building ready to do all of these different pieces. And so when we, we spent a long time looking at the current work in the mental health, the infant parent mental health field um, and the research that's going on there around the developmental, the human development and bringing in what's already in the field of social emotional learning and putting that together so that we have a much better, that this visual kind of helps us understand like, okay, what do we need as our base? Kind of what do, what do we need? If something isn't working, if the child is having trouble making decisions, well, do we just focus on that decision making or do we need to see what blocks underneath might not be fully there? Yeah. So, and I love it. the way Tracy and I work together was so great because I'll kind of like talk and ramble and she's like, wait a minute, I see it. I see the visual <laughs> and she would get it down. So I love this visual that she, she kind of took this idea and I was like, no, no, it's kind of developmental. And she's like, wait a minute, it's blocks. Um, and it really is kind of like the Jing, if you, you know, play the game Jenga, yeah. you can start, you can take out a block or two and it still stands. So you don't recognize it as a tower that's going to fall over, but it's going to be a much shakier tower. Yeah. So when we look at this, this is really to remind us of, well, where is, what do the, what do students need first? And it might, they might look like they've got it all together. But what else is going on here? What down in that foundation needs to be firm before we can build on top of it? And there seems to be a lot of different versions of, you know, these uh, components um, out there. Why did you all kind of you know, settle on on this type of framework or the, this visual? I think it really it came back to the, that need to be able to show the developmental nature of it. And we'd often find when I'd, I'm in a fellowship for infant parent mental health and the mental health professionals there would say, well, I just want teachers to know this. Why don't they know this? Well, when teachers do know it, they'd be like, why didn't anyone tell me this before? Yeah. And when they do get it, and sometimes it is, you know, it's out there. They're like, oh, this works. This makes sense. Yeah. 
And so we really just thought, and we struggled with this because what's out there is excellent, um, but it also doesn't capture that developmental nature that we really need to be able to understand if we're gonna support all children. We do share in our book, um, Castle, who we say is the one of the leading um, sources of um, helping schools to embed social emotional learning. They have five mm -hmm. competencies. And in our book, we, we have a diagram that shows how they're integrated into our building blocks. And um, Stephanie Jones um, is sort of the leader of the East Cell Lab at Harvard. And they talk about six domains that involve cognitive skills, emotional skills, social skills, as well as um, they call them belief ecologies, which I deal with identity, um, perspective, and um, values, right? Like our mindsets, and we think about um, character building and um, our self-esteem, motivation, gratitude, things of that nature. Um, and so those are also embedded into these building blocks. So we've, we've taken ideas from them, but as Ann Bailey mentioned, um, since she's done so much work um, in the mental health field, um, you can see that this is woven in through our building blocks and um, we're excited about that. That's awesome. And I, I wanna switch gears a little bit because I, I mentioned the pandemic and teachers feeling so, you know, really overwhelmed. Uh, there's so much on their plates right now. And um, I'm going to play devil's ad advocate. You know, what, what happens when a teacher says, this is just another thing that we have to do. It's an add-on. Um, how do you respond to that? Because, uh, again, there are so many directives and initiatives coming at teachers and the, 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 the idea that they're not able to have all their kids in their classrooms at, you know, some days and some kid teachers are out some days and it's just really a challenge right now. And so how do you at this point in time help them understand that this is just not another add on to their plates? So I'm, I'm going to start off and then I'll, I'll have you ambiently add on. Um, you know, I always think it's interesting. There's a lot of misconceptions. You know, I, I've heard educators sort of say, oh, start of the year, we, we can't do any academics. We're just supposed to be doing SEL, right? So we can't do, we can't do anything academic related. I've also heard, you know, parents sort of say, you know, this is, these are skills that, that we're going to teach at home. And I also, social emotional learning happens, we use and apply our social emotional skills throughout our day. They don't start at home and stop at school and then start back up. We're using them. We are, students are using them when they're playing a game, when they're working on a project and using their communication skills um, with their peers. Um, we as educators are using them um, when we need to use conflict resolution or we don't agree on things, right, in our in our team meetings. So these are these are skills that um, we don't just enter kindergarten and, and we have them, right? We know students come with different experiences. Some have a stronger foundation than others. And we even know as adults, these are lifelong skills that we're continuing to build and use um, daily. So... Um, they're necessary, they're needed, we're using them, and, and no longer, like I mentioned, can we just teach academic learning, we also have to focus on social emotional learning. So how do we do that? And so we focus in on our book about using, we 
we focus on 10 teaching practices that we can integrate um, social emotional learning with academics. And then we have a lot of um, planning tools that teachers can use um, in, in planning um, the, the academic learning and thinking about how can we weave in social emotional learning with academics. And in order to do that, you have to really know the ins and outs of those standards. You have to dig in and unpack them and, and know what they're all about so that it can come naturally. And I think Ann Bailey does such a nice job um, sort of explaining and talking about those teachable moments. We talk about one of our 10 practices is about teachable moments. And, and it's not just about um, setting aside one um, block of time during our day, maybe morning meeting or a 20 minute time where we're gonna teach these skills. Right. No, it needs to be authentic. Um, they need to happen throughout the day. We can set aside time to teach them maybe in a morning meeting, um, but we also need to think about when they're happening in real time and in real life. So maybe Ambilly could go into a little bit of detail about that. Um, absolutely, on those teachable moments. Um, sorry, I just totally <laughs> blinked out. But you know, it made me, so, when we were all working together, we were able to, our school was able to participate in a research study for another, for a curriculum, an executive functioning curriculum. Right. And it was, it was great. I learned so much. But one of the things that stuck with me the most through that experience was the students that made the most gains. It wasn't from what I was teaching them in my little self-contained group that I would pull out and we'd have our little, you know, we'd do our little activity. It was from the teachers that were using the language that we were that we would teach the language and then they were using it. And I remember looking at the results and it was even the teachers that they were like making fun of the language because we were we were using it so much we got tired of these words. Um, but those words, those teachers that embraced it were the ones that you that had it and it was that teachable moment that they'd be like, "Oh, it's a fire drill. Now I have to, you know, change my yeah. place." And so that really is where I think the growth was. It's not about that that pullout plan. It's about embedding it into your everyday life um, and modeling it. And I think a lot of that when we're talking about teachers that I cannot imagine being a teacher in the schools right now. I know how it has got to, I don't know. I imagine it is so tough. Um, but it's going to be extra hard because it's to be able to fully be offer authentic social emotional learning, you're going to have to be self, you're going to have to be regulated yourself and open yeah. to these relationships. And so there is this piece of this, that zoning, stepping back and looking at that culture and climate of the school um, and the current climate and saying, right, what can we do to support one another and support teachers so that we are, so that they're able to show up and be present for the children and and offer these, offer these languages, use this, sit down with the child, connect with them. And I, I really think that this can no longer be a, should we do this? This, this is imperative. This is not just some pie in the sky, you know, philosophy that, you know, we should do this because, you know, it, it's, it's something that everybody's doing it. We, we have to do this because it's preparing kids to be adults. You know, the, the cognitive skills um, are important, but, you know, I heard somebody the other day say the social emotional learning, the social emotional skills, these are the skills 
these are the competencies that are going to help people, help kids be successful when they go to college and when they get a job and they have to get along with people and they have to manage themselves. Those are the skills are going to, that are going to help them keep a job. You know, we want to make sure that kids can learn and, and, and that's critically important, the cognitive piece. Um, but most um, employers are saying, I can train people. The problem is they don't know how to play nice. They don't know how to get along with each other. They actually don't, they don't come to, to work on time. And so those, those, those skills, and I, I don't like the term soft skills. That's, the, that's a misnomer. I like the term human skills. These are human skills that they need to be successful. And you know, when we talk about that, the idea of emotional quotient, EQ, that's more important than IQ. And so if we can teach these skills, then our students, our children are going to be more successful and, and they're going to have a solid foundation to move forward and do whatever they want. But if we, you know, say this is just something that we add on, then we're going to continue to get what we've always gotten. Absolutely. And, um, you know, there isn't one roadmap for how to do this. It really comes down to teams collaborating and, and educators are excellent at figuring out how to integrate um, across the curriculum. And, and this is what needs to happen here. Um, when, when we were working together um, at our school, Mason Chris, we started to figure out, you know, how could we use transitions as a way to not only teach academic skills, but some of those social emotional skills too. Those are, you know, historically we think of those as times of we're going to be as quick as we can and we want our students to be quiet and sit at the carpet and, and transition should be fast, but they really are these unique learning opportunities. And as our students, you know, our younger students have a really hard time sometimes transitioning between, um, you know, different content areas going from math to language arts or language arts to music. And so it's a time that you can not only teach academic skills, but some of these social emotional skills in real time. Um, and so, you know, we, I talked a little bit about um, these 10 practices and these 10 practices are practical. Again, they're not, um, you know, ideas of just having um, a, a scripted lesson or program and designating a certain time to teach vocabulary, right? It's really about knowing those essential social emotional standards and thinking about as a team brainstorming, how can we embed them into our academic learning? Can we do it during play? Can we do it during um, our read alouds and in reading comprehension strategies? Can we do it when we're teaching students about goal setting, um, when students are engaging in partner games during math time? When can we embed them into the school day, into real time, into students' real lives? And, and sometimes we are going to say, you know what, we are going to teach a lesson and these are the things that we need our students to understand about the, that vocabulary or um, that academic language, but it's also going to be authentic. And, and if we know those standards, then when students are engaging in conflict, we can be there as um, a, a support for our students and help guide them if we know what they are and what students, what we want them to be able to know and be able to do. Um, ourselves, right? Yes, you mentioned the transition. Well, all of these practices, I have to say, anytime we came up with an idea, Tracy would be like, no, that needs to be reproducible. That needs to be a graph. That needs to be something hands-on teachers can print out and use immediately. 
And so I really, like, we have the transitions, I think that might've been what got me, convinced me to work on this book with you. Cause you have the, um, the ways to do the transitions, incorporate social emotional learning into transitions that you already have. So it can just be pulled these little things, popsicle sticks that can be pulled out and you have the ideas in the book. Um, I just think it is a lot. There's a lot in our chapter four that has just things you can do immediately. Yeah. And, and we sometimes react reactively instead of being proactive. And sure. so if we sit down and collaborate and talk about what are the proactive measures we can do um, and we can establish in our learning environment to differentiate for all students, you know, really sitting back and going, wow, this is good for all students, but right. we might have some students we have to adapt our, our learning environment to as well. And that's the same with our instruction too. Um, you know, not, not every classroom has the same set of students. So we have to be able to differentiate. And when you really know and understand those standards, you can really meet the needs of your students in real time. You know, one of the things that I um, always try to think about is how can we affirm the work that our teachers are already doing? How can we help them understand that they're doing a lot of this already? Right. And so I think, you know, in our book, What About Us? And, and you know, Tracy and I and, and Jackie and Diane created this kind of a, assessment where we could, you know, look at some of our practices that are in our book um, and help teachers assess whether they're doing this, they're kind of doing this, or they need to start doing this. And a number of times when we talk to people, they're like, we're, we're already doing this. And we're like, yeah, you're doing a lot of this stuff already, right? And so our goal is to make sure it's school-wide. Don't, don't hide it. Don't, don't hoard it just for, for you, individual teacher or individual team. Be willing to share your practices so it can really become a school-wide process and we're all on the same page. And we're not saying all teachers have to be do the exact same things, but we're saying if you're finding something that's working, then share with your teammates, share with your colleagues. That's what it's really important for us to, you know, really take collective responsibility for every single child because now they're all of our kids, not my kids, your kids. They're all of our kids and we're going to share so we can make sure that every single child gets there. Right. And, and as we've mentioned before, historically, our conversations are around academics and not always yep. around building relationships around the learning environment and promoting, um, you know, positive um, cultures and healthy climates. So we have to find time and time for teachers is, um, always an issue, right? And yep. so if we can think about ways that we can integrate our discussions into our discussions around academics, um, that's gonna be important. So um, we recommend that, you know, administrators um, and teams really set aside collaborative time to have these important discussions um, at the beginning of the year and throughout the school year. All right, we have two questions left and we only have 10 minutes, minutes left, but this has been great. I, I really do appreciate you all coming on because again, this is gonna be a great book and I think it's gonna do a lot of good for, for a lot of you know teachers, a lot of students and a lot of schools. Um, this all sounds great. Again, I'm gonna be um, devil's advocate. How do we assess this? How do we assess social emotional learning? How, how do we assess these skills? Do we, do we create goals? What, what does it look like? We really struggled, um, well, 
not maybe not struggled, but we really went back and forth on how to what how to write about assessment because there's a lot of current social emotion or so emotional assessments out there. So behavior rating scales that have a lot of meat behind them, but they're not necessarily going to be reflective of what you're doing in the classroom right then. Right. Um, and then it's also would be easy to kind of come up with as your own solo teacher, come up with some sort of checklist. Oh, I taught this. Did they get it? But whether or not that means if they got it on paper that they're actually going to go home and do it sure. is different. And then also as a solo teacher, are you really looking at um, all the developmental practices, all of, you know, all of the different pieces that are there? And so I'm actually, I think I'm really proud of how we did this, probably because we struggled so much and went back and forth and debated um, so much. But really, it's so much of this, the assessment piece does need to come from that collaborative team where you're sitting down and saying, okay, not just what are we going to assess, but what are we going to do with this information that we're assessing? Right. And that this has to be meaningful. It can't just be whether or not they learned it for the report card grade, but are we building on this? Are we reflecting? Or do we notice there's a problem? Something wasn't being done. And then using that assessment piece that knowing what you want to use your ultimate goal with those, that number creating or with the results, creating the assessment around that. And it might have to be something that you're looking at, well, are we gonna see if the student did it once? Well, just cause they did it once doesn't mean they'll do it every time right. with social emotional learning. So um, looking at, well, are you gonna do it, do you know, a checklist three, I see, I've seen them do it three times. Should it just be one teacher, one teacher's opinion of the seeing whether or not the child did it or should you as a team be like looking on the playground to you know take the check marks and see how it goes. So really a lot of this is looking at your team and talk, having that conversation. Well, what is developmentally appropriate? And then a big piece of that is after you've assessed, come back as a team. And we do this for academics. We look at that data. We like, what does it mean? What did we not teach well? But you have to do that for social emotional learning too. And I think part of that is because you need to look at patterns. Well, what about those kids that did really well? What do they have in common? What about the kids that didn't do well on this assessment? And then you have to be reflective on what you were asking on the assessment. Because sometimes you'll find that all of the children who did poorly all had were the youngest kids in the grade. Well, then that tells us that maybe the skill we're asking is not developmentally sure. um, appropriate. Or that all of the kids that did poorly are all from one cultural background. Well, then maybe the skill we're asking isn't an appropriate skill for everyone. Like we're coming at this with some bias and we need to have some conversations around whether this, like what we're actually sure. looking for. Um, so and, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, and I was just going to say, um, you know, we, we do talk about, um, you know, ways that teams can develop common um, formative assessments to help determine what, what students know and what they're able to do, but also using that as a way to say, wow, my, my students did really well in this area and having those conversations. What did you do in your classroom? You know, we talked about doing this, but like, wow, you know, tell me, what, what did you do? I thought I was doing the same thing. Well, oh, I didn't do it that way. Maybe I'm going to try this next time. So it's about being transparent with one another, having conversations, figuring out, well, that didn't go so well, or, well, your, your students are doing really well in this area and mine um, are struggling and, and, and using assessments more in that way sure. um, to help um, with our teaching practices. Um, so, you know, like Ann Bailey said, this is a tough one. Um, 
And um, I think using research um, to go back um, as you're creating some of these assessments and making sure that um, they are developmentally um, appropriate is, is huge. And so tapping into CASEL and, and some of the research that's out there um, will, will be really important because we wanna make sure that we get this right. We don't, this is too important. Yeah. And um, we, we don't want this to, to not be meaningful and authentic. And so in order to, to get it right, um, I really do think that we have to not only um, pull on the experts in this field, but also, um, you know, our community members, right, and those families and, and, and bringing them to the table as we're starting to, to look at social emotional learning and um, establishing curriculum and framework that, that should be, they should be part of the discussion in helping um, to, to um, support our, our students as, as well as the adults in the building. You said something that was really important. You were saying that, and again, we're not great at this, um, but really now making sure that we bring parents and have that voice into the conversation because we really want to make sure that we're situating the learning in the lives of our students, right? And so we need to make sure that we know who they are, their 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 frame of reference, their lived experience. And so, Anvil, you said something earlier about we all have biases. Right. And so how do we make sure that we are, you know, looking at are we making decisions based on, you know, the lived experiences of our kids or are we making decisions based on our lived experience? Right. And so we have to make sure that we, we really look in the mirror and, and, and truly, you know, honor who our kids are. We're not lowering expectations, but we're making sure that we take into account their lived experiences. Final question. And so who benefits most from social emotional learning um, and safe environments? Are there, is it, you know, everybody or just certain kids from certain backgrounds or kids who are traditionally in trouble? Who benefits? Well, I'll start off by saying, um, you know, our, our book talks about behavior, but it's not a behavior book. Um, and a, a lot of times, some of the discussions um, that are had are around how do we support our students' behavior, specific students' behavior. And, and this book is to ensure equity, right, across the school setting. We're talking about teaching these cognitive, social, emotional skills to all children, right? But yeah. we can't sit and assume that, um, all of our students are entering with the same foundation. So we are going to have to differentiate and, and think about what are the, the, the prerequisite skills or those foundational skills that need to come first um, and, and really think about how we can support, um, again, all of our students, not just some. And, and we need to also not just be thinking about our um, students, but also um, the well-being of the teachers and the adults in the building and how are we creating communities, um, a school community that is physically as well as psychologically safe, right, for the adults as well as the students. Um, and I think that's really important. And again, um, we're not always 
tapping into these um, areas or having these conversations with each other. And that's important. We, we need to be able to sit in our team meetings and, and honor our differences, but also think about how we're going to work collaboratively and um, come out feeling um, safe in our, in our environment. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's a, that's hard be, feeling safe, but also being transparent and, and being willing to be humble and listen and get feedback, right, from our peers as well. So um, I, th I think it's for all community members within, within the school. Thank you, Tracy. I think about this a lot, Brian. I can still see the room at Mason Crest. Where you, I think you and I got into it because I we were talking about some child, and I was like, "Oh, but his poor background, he needs more." And you were like, "No, <laughs> you're like, stop looking out the window, Ann Bailey, and start looking in the mirror. Like, you need like, what can you do? I don't want to hear about the background." And I was like, "But I need to know the background, so I need to know the decision decisions I'm going to make to support him." But no, you were right. We need if I do. We create the safe learning environment for everyone. And instead of just saying, oh, I think they're from trauma, I think they have trauma, we're going to do a small little loving, like this loving group. Well, that's again coming back to making these assumptions about kids and not others. Like we need to do it for all kids. Yeah. We need to, everyone should go to work and school in an environment that they're, they feel safe to take these risks. Right. And everyone should have this opportunity to. Um, have this learning. It shouldn't just be kids that we're assuming are from trauma. And I think right now, what I'm hearing a lot of, there are a lot of groups that I love the, tra I love trauma-informed instruction or trauma-informed care, all of this, but it's not something we should be doing that we're saying, oh, I think this, this kid's going to need that extra piece yeah. without, I mean, there's kids that will need it differently, but it shouldn't be a tier two or tier three intervention. It needs to be for everyone in the school. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, there, there's this, there's, there's two pieces to this. One is we want to know the kid's background because that gives us context, right? And so we can plan accordingly, but that background should not make us um, have lower our expectations of those children, right? And so sometimes we lower the expectations saying they came from this, you know, this part of the town or they they don't do this and or, or their parents are this and so we lower our expectations and that's kind of that soft bigotry and we don't want to do that we want to know kids we want to know their frame of reference we want to know who they are we want to know their lived experiences and we plan accordingly for each child no, no matter who the child is and so that that you know the other buzzword we hear a lot now is equity equity is not race equity is fairness Equity is knowing that who that kid is, right? Equity is meeting the child where they are, knowing who they are, and knowing where they come from, and and really helping them reach levels where what where we would want our own kid, right? And so that's what we we want for for every single child. Tracy and Ann Bailey, building blocks for social emotional learning, creating safe, secure, and successful elementary schools. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for being my first guest on A Conversation with Brian. You are excellent, and I appreciate you all so much. I've learned so much from you all as colleagues, as friends, and Godspeed. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you so much.